Welcome to episode 11 of Inside the Table, a tabletop RPG talk show, a show in which we talk about the craft of tabling role-playing games. My name is Cole. You can follow me at Ice Cole Brew, and my pronouns are he, him, they, them. And joining me today is my co-host. Hi, my name is Molly. You can follow me at Mina underscore Linhan, and my pronouns are he, him. And today we are talking about pitching your game and what you look for in a game in general. But first... Marley, before the show, I asked you to get a piece of paper and three dice, a D4, a D6, and a D8. Yes, and I did that thing. Uh, do you have that paper in front of you? Do you have a writing utensil? I probably should have mentioned that, too. Fuck! No, yes, I do. Okay, great. I have, like, 17 pens on my desk that I never use. Yep. Because writing is for nerds. Writing is for nerds, and we are the biggest nerds of them all! Yeah, take that, nerds. Um, so go ahead and on that, draw a three by three grid. Okay. Like a tic-tac-toe board, basically. All right. Done. Up above the top, you want to put A, B, C above each row. Okay. And then a. one, two, three down the columns. C, C, one, two, three. I have succeeded. Excellent. And just in uh, three spots, wherever you want, mark an X. And three random spots. Okay. I have one tic-tac-toe. <laughs> Do I describe where I've put them, or is this a secret? No, keep that to yourself. Okay. Well, they're in a line. I'll just say that. Ooh, don't tell me that. Uh, I'll start again. Yep. Choo, Do it again. Choo, and choo, uh, A, B, C. Viewers, if you are following along at home, just ignore that. <laughs> ignore the first part. Do not put your X's in a line. We're not, I made this sound like tic-tac-toe. We are not playing tic-tac-toe. Okay, but I did win. You did win. All right, continue. <laughs> As the sun settles across the horizon, two people walk out and meet themselves along the long stretch of a road. They stare each other down, weapons in hand. Marley, are they carrying swords or guns? Swords. Swords? Swords in hand, staring each other down. A battle is here to take place. There's a smell of crushed of crushed chamomile and burnt lavender in the air. Behind both of them are respective armies and their respective colors oh, wow. of the factions of each of them. But now we play a, a battle of honor that has been respected among both factions in order to lead the least bloodless, the most passable way for a battle to begin. Okay. And with that... Um, Marley, I want you to go ahead and roll all three of your dice at once. All right. Whoop, fuck, fuck. And do not tell me what numbers you rolled. Okay. All right. I've done this. Excellent. I want you to put them in any order you want next to each other, left to right. Left to right. Done. All right. And what we're going to do is at the same time, we are going to say, well, I'm going to not touch my dice because I also rolled. I have my three dice and my tic-tac-toe board oh, over here. Oh, we're fighting. We're fighting. Oh, no. We are doing a duel. Fun fact, this is a game I came up with like 15 minutes before I left work. Uh, and that first number die, the one the furthest to the left, mm -hmm. what value did did you roll? I rolled a one on mine, and I'm roll I rolled the D8. I got a D8, and I got a four. Excellent. What's the second, uh, second one? I rolled a four 
on a D4. I also rolled a four on it. Wait, on a D4? I got a four and a D6. Four on a D6? Okay. And on the last die, which I guess is your D4, what number did you roll on that? I rolled a one. All right. So what that means is I have a chance to hit. We are going to do another roll off and then uh, you have a chance to hit me. Okay. So calling out the letter and the number, we're going to do your roll first. Calling out the letter and the number, what uh, what place do you hit me at? Wait, do I roll again? No, you just tell me you've already rolled. You beat my one. All right. So you, you're basically rolling high or low and... Whoever rolls the highest gets a hit. Whoever rolls the lowest is in danger. Okay. So, so my first four on the D8 is A1. A1? Mm-hmm. All right. I am just able to dodge that blow. Damn it. We're going to roll the middle one again. We roll the middle one, which was my six. Yep. And my D4. Average is on my side. You do. Okay. I rolled a one. I got a three. All right, you get another chance to hit me again. Okay. Give another call. Do I roll again? Uh, no, you just tell me uh, what area on the board you hit me in. A3. A3. Again, I barely dodge and roll out of the way. Damn it. All right, and then I get a chance to hit you for the last one. Uh, okay. I'm going to say C2. C2? Also where I am. Interesting. So I hit. I'm a, that's, that's my one dice, I believe. That's the one on the four. Yep, that is, yeah, so that's where, uh, so since I was able to hit you, take, I die. Uh, take that D4, I want you to put that away. Really? Interesting. You now only have two chances to hit. Oh, so I now we're three. doing, now we're doing a uh, uh, battle, battleship. Yeah, basically. That was like the basic concept I came at. How does, how do I get you, and how do I take, uh, I guess with a D4, it's a very light blow, mm. but it. It's enough to be noticeable to where, as the strike comes true, the sword flashes across uh, across your arm. Mm. There's a loud sh- out from your side and a cheer from mine. Yeah, I think I I I approach bravely and I'm like I'm going to take two amazing swings. Swing like kind of average. I think most of them are, but I feel confident about them and I just whiff them both and I'm like haha. And then you just kind of like just stab me in the arm in the yeah. upper arm. I'm like damn it, I feel like <laughs> such a fool. Um, and so that's where you get me. Yeah, and. To explain what happens on my end, since I now have a dice with advantage, I get to roll all three, but I get to pick which dice replaces one of the other ones. Right. Uh, so so I will I'll roll these two again. Yep. All right. All right. And arrange them however you want. All right. I will do so. Uh, and all right. I'm ready to go. Okay. Um, so my first roll was on the D4 and I rolled a four. Okay. What was your first, uh, first die? Uh, first die is a, a D6 and I rolled a five. All right. You got a hit on that one. What was your second roll? I got a three on a D8. Three on D8. I got a five on a D6. So I hit on that one. So we trade. Okay. All right. Let's do yours first. Uh, where do you hit me at? Straight in the middle. B2, five. B2 with the five misses. What? That's what you have to be. Everyone goes for the middle. I purposely avoid the middle because of that reason. Damn it. You're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> this game you made up. All right. <laughs> this game I made up in 15 minutes and did not even bother playtesting. Yeah. 
you know, you already know thought, all the tricks. Yeah, battleship works. This will be fine. Uh, I think it's a par- like a dagger flashes out and parries, and the like. You know how the musketeers fight like one hmm. parrying dagger and then a rapier in the other hand. As the next slash comes out, it is a five, and I'm going to declare it on a same spot B two. Uh. What does that mean? Am I there? Do I hit you at B2? I mean, I put an X there. Oh, oh, okay. wait. Is that what my my initial X's are? Yes. Yes, you miss. All right. Uh, pairing and flashing against each other. We're going to go for another round. Just go ahead and roll your dice. All right. Jesus. Okay. I've forgotten where I've drawn my X's now. Yeah. Um, okay, I have gotten them. Okay, uh, what is your first roll? I rolled a D8, eight, and I got an 8 on that one. Uh, I got a, I got a D8, and I got a 5. Gotcha, so that's one hit for me? Yeah. And your second roll, I rolled a 3 on the D6. I got a 1 on a D6. Alright, that's two hits for me. Yes, and I get nothing. Gotcha. Alright, uh, I strike out and flash towards B2. I mean, uh, not B2, B1. Well, you can't just change it. <laughs> uh, yes, you hit me on B1. Oh, no, 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 you uh, missed me on B1. Oh, I missed on B1. Okay. Yep. Uh, I keep pressing the attack and I go for C3. C3, also miss. All right. Well, there's three options on the board. Got it. So is this because it's dark that we can't see? Or are we just weird fighters? I think it's a combination of just, like, weird fighting, and also it's getting darker and darker. This fight actually has been going for way longer than either side has anticipated. Okay. I imagine my side has, like, started building campfires, and it's just, like, waiting. (laughs) And because there's all that extra light, it's adding more shadow, making it harder for us to see each other. That's how campfires work. All right. Mm -hmm. So, I'll roll again? Yep. All right. Yes! Big numbers. All right. What'd you get on your first roll? Six on a D6. I got a five on a D6. Yeah. So you get a hit on that. All right. And your second roll? Six on a D8. Seven on a D8. I barely get you on that one. So we do. We you do one blow, I do one blow. Yep. All right. A2. You strike, you strike me. Yes. Uh, how does that work out? Uh, I think um, in the darkness, as the shadows all, all pull up, I, uh, uh, I have been, I've been missing. I've been getting hit. We've been like trading blows and hitting nothing. Um, I think I just close my eyes and just like hit you. And then I hit and it's great. And I feel good. And then you, and then you die. Can I do that? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Damn I still got two hits left. Oh shit. Uh, I'm going to swing also at A2. Okay. Do I hit? No. Okay. I don't know how to mark. I should have done two two squares. I'm gonna do that now. That's what I've been doing. I've been I've been doing just one and marking both where my my health is and also where you are. So mm-hmm. I mean, I've just been doing like different symbols. Yeah, we have so far struck. Um, a total one, two, three. We have four. done most. We have three left. Yeah. On either yeah, of we should have three. Well, yeah, three left each. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which wait? Which dice do you lose? Uh, I lost my d six. Right. So I have my d four and my d eight left. Okay. 
And we're going to go ahead and roll one more time. Wait, you haven't hit me. No, I called A2 as well, and I missed. Oh, right, right, right. That's all right. All right. All right, let's go again. Yep. Hell yeah. Like that. All right. I got mine arranged. Are you ready? Yes. All right, so on the D8, I got a six. On the D8, I got a seven. Wow, you hit me on that one. Yeah. What'd you get on the uh, other one, the D6? I got <laughs> a one on a D4. I got a one on a D4, on a D6. <laughs> I right, re-roll. All right, re-roll. Four. I got a one. Yeah, you can't You hit that. me twice. Hell yeah. All right, all right. All right. So now I just got to hit you in all the right places. Um, I'm going to go B3. B3 hits. Yes. Um, I, 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 I call... I, Swinging wildly. Not really a good way of fighting, but a good way of fighting in the dark. Uh, I hit you in the foot, and you're like, ow. And I'm like, yes, got you. And so I go for another <laughs> swing at C1. Uh, C1, hit. Yes! You did the same pattern than I did. Um, <laughs> and I just, like, stab you. As your sword plunges through me, I look up, sword sheathed inside my body I'll directly into your eyes and I say Marley what's inspired you lately <laughs> and I'm like no Cole it didn't have to be like this we were only hosting a podcast why have you done this why don't we have to bring our two ar- armies the chamomile and lavender armies against each other why Cole why this way and then and then I swing wildly because I'm not entirely sure you're dead and it's still very dark um (laughs) so what i've been doing lately uh is i went to pax and let me tell you about pax pax is two things pax is number one bad number two good (laughs) and that is my conclusion about pax it is it is a combination of things so so i basically went there it was very crowded. I don't know how many people were there. I think there was like 30,000. Hello, uh, current day editing booth Marley here. Um, I checked it out. It's actually 80,000 over the course of three days. So, eeh. And I am not regularly around 30,000 people. So my first, first moments there, I walked out and I'm like, I'm going to see everything. And then I did that in two hours. I went to literally every stall, every kind of setup. I avoided all the lines and I saw everything. And then I'm like, I have to sit down. There were so many people. And so I did that. And every subsequent day, or both subsequent days, because it was a three-day thing, I kept doing that every day. And I don't know why. And I got overwhelmed. And then uh, I ended up hanging out with my friends who were over there. And... That was good. That was fun being with around friends and seeing their joy with all these things, um, and and you know checking out the video games, checking out all these sort of fa- uh, uh, all these sort of like board games and fun stalls and kickstarters and and panels. And the panels I liked the most. Those are the good things because it was kind of really fun seeing people like talk about a thing they made or like how to make a thing or how to get into the industry. Um, like it was great, like sitting down and listening to people from Devolver talking about what it was like making, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
Cult of the Lamb. Is that the name of the thing? That game? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a bunch of other games. And it was really fun because it was just like a pathway. It's how, how could a, a mere PAX attendee become a PAX panelist or something like that? And I was like, hell yeah, this is so great to see. And there was a lot of interesting conversations going on and uh, fun presentations and bad uh, presentations. And yeah, um, one thing that I was aiming to do, and you'd probably guess by the fact that I said aiming that it didn't happen, is I was going to check out a bunch of tabletop RPGs because that is my job. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> it was like <laughs> daily panels, uh, daily like like sit down and plays, including uh, Blood Blood Clot, which is a game that I was playtesting on Discord. Um, I was overwhelmed. Again, the signups were in the morning. At that time, I was wandering around and feeling overwhelmed. Um, and there was a bunch of other games, including including Call of Cthulhu and Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League, which would have been interesting to play just for the experience of it. Um, and I didn't. I avoided that. I played one board game the entire weekend, uh, probably because my brain was like, you should play a board game. And I'm like, no, I will not do what I'm being told. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was fun. It was PAX. I didn't get to see Melbourne. It was PAX Oz, so for clarity, uh, mm-hmm. because I was at PAX and then I left. And then I had like breakfast one morning and then I had to get on a train and leave. Um, so Melbourne seems nice, but I have not seen much of it. Um, and yes... <laughs> and yes it was overwhelming Absolutely. <laughs> you know that's kind of why i'm outside of financial reasons that's also why i'm avoiding pax you yeah. i knew a lot of people at pax but i just i can't commit not this year yeah it's just, it's especially weird just because like i mean occasionally you see like people on youtube you know like there's like some like you know various people that I'm just like oh my god that's Haley from Story Breakers who made um um uh Good Society and stuff like that I'm like I can't believe I'm seeing this amazing celebrity because it's just like that's that's my circle of people and I'm sure there was like Twitch people that are around and I'm just like oh it's Ninja or whatever but I don't really know Ninja um and it was also weird because you see like cosplay people They're like oh my god that's the hollow knight person and i can't believe that they're here but even though it's just cosplay but it's 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 always fun um so i saw a bunch of famous fictional characters not to brag mm-hmm. um and yeah it's it was it was a lot of fun it was a fun experience to sort of have but it was wild to do yeah i if i go to a large event like that i definitely it, I you did basically what I would have done, which is mm. go check out all the shops, all the stalls, look what's around, maybe go into a couple of the panels every now and then. Yeah. That's usually what I did whenever I went to conventions. If I was to go to something like this and if I knew people at the stalls and such, I'd probably end up helping them after like a few hours of checking stuff out. I should have done that. That's honestly what I was going to do at PAX U was I was going to help run a game stall and also demo some games for folks. Because that's always fun. Mm, that would be good. Yeah. I was unfortunately just extremely shy. That's the weird thing about me that I can be, you know, loud when I'm like hanging out with people and when I'm like doing a podcast. But like when I'm like in person, I'm just like, I'm not speaking to anybody. If I don't know them, I'm just going to avoid them. Mm-hmm. And so that's my my way of approaching things. Um, so, yeah, that was it was fun, though. It was really great sitting on a panel and not asking any questions and just kind of like listening mm-hmm. quietly. Um, oh, yeah. 
but yeah, outside of that, what have, what have you been up to? Um, I started doing commentary on esports games. I've been shouting into a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> more than usual. Mm. So for MLE Sports GG, uh, they needed a few more commentators or casters, as they would be called. Mm-hmm. And um, I opted in to help out. I think my first weekend I did a my first week, I should say, not weekend. That'd be ridiculous. I did a total of eight games, two on Thursday, two on Saturday, four on Sunday. Okay. And it's fascinating to like talk a lot about stuff and like you become more hyper aware of repeating phrases a lot. Like shooting opportunity was something I would say a lot. Takes mm. possession. Um, I would forget just like alternative words to say. I remember like sitting through an a like quick orientation training by one of the more experienced casters, like who say who would say like I would apply to Word Genius, get their daily newsletter for word of the day, and I would try to use that word any chance I got. <laughs> and I was like, I that that's hardcore. Yeah. And, you know, I come to find out he's not just doing sports comment, like esports commentary. He's also like a wrestling show podcaster. He's also uh, he went to like SummerSlam and interviewed a lot of the wrestlers there. Mm. Like. And yeah, that was like the big thing. And then this past weekend, I got to go see one of our previous guests, uh, Brandon, a.k.a. Ashenworks. Yeah. And their home. And. That, for me, was great. It was nice to, like, hang out and relax. We talked a lot about tabletop RPGs. We played some games. I got to meet his tabletop group as well that he has IRL, who he got to start trying out Blades in the Dark because they were all very strictly D&D folks. Really? Wow. There were some of them who were, like, trying to learn Blades in the Dark, but you can tell they still have the AD&D and D&D 5E, like, lessons in their head. Some of them I was like talking to, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm surprised y'all haven't taken like other abilities from other playbooks. And one of them looked at me and said, wait, I can do that? I thought I could only do that three times. Like, no, you can do that as much as you want. Yeah. I uh, When you initially said AD&D, I was like, what would that experience be? Like just playing like original D&D, just be like, all right, here's, here's a game from 50 years later. This is this is uh, Blades in the Dark. What do you do? Well, the, the person who said that, uh, they actually played AD&D when they were a kid, like when they were like four, five, six, some young, young age with their family. Yeah. And, you know, so they leaned on to AD&D. They tried D&D 3.5, skipped four, went into 5E because they knew they could get a lot of people to play that. And yeah. Brandon, you know, says, hey, I really want to try something different. Let's try Blades in the Dark. And to me, I... I love when people who've only known of one system try another one because then you get to see how they react to that. Yeah. Because I think I've said this before, but like when I went back into D&D at one point, I still had Forge in the Dark plans in my head. I was like, okay, so we need to break into a building. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And my brain went, what's the entry point? Or do we have a contact on the inside? Is there a traveling route we can go through to get there? Yeah, I love that stuff. I, I've been I've been basically um, writing some uh, systemless stuff, which I I always default to being like this should fit with with D and D, and so like my main thing is like okay, I have to write this for D and D, but 
I also like Blades in the Dark. So this is going to be a heist. And I'm just going to like throw in a bunch of mechanics that people can use in D&D to secretly play some 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 Blades in the Dark. Like I threw in like mm-hmm. clocks and I threw in this and alert things and stuff like that. And that's always fun. Um, but yeah, that sounds amazing. I also really like the idea of of like the way that other games like kind of influence how you play like future games and stuff like that. It's like it's like knowing a language and then speaking another language and like importing a lot of the grammar and stuff like that, which I always love. I always like it's always a fun way to like interpret a game. Yeah, I think like the common way I see that happen is people will play Powered by the Apocalypse games. And then they will switch into Blades in the Dark or Forge in the Dark game and take mm. the clocks from Forged into Powered by the Apocalypse to help keep track of consequences easier. Yeah. I think it's like one of the simple ways. Um, I know some folks are working on converting Blades in the Dark downtime for those people who like to do time skips in their game. Yeah. To give more an opportunity to like role play, explore their character a little bit more at but be able to do vignettes instead of having to play out like the entire time frame, mm. you know, or have like a shopping episode. Yeah. You can only do a certain number of actions because that would like make it quicker or something. Mm-hmm. Another thing I did not add on here, but I have been watching is mm. the new Gundam, which yeah. in Gla- uh, which in Mercury. I was about to say witching glass. I'm like, no, that's a that's a spoiler. <laughs> partisan. But uh, which in Mercury does I really love. And it really got me thinking about how to, you know, like, what happens when, like, there's school rival, like, there's inter-school hierarchy, but corporations are involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mainly went, like, would this work out great as a Lancer setting? Would this work out okay in a beam saber setting? And I really want to do an armored stir setting because of the B-plot moves in armored yeah. stir. That's cool. I still haven't read that book. I'm sorry, we've talked about it on this podcast before, but I still haven't like sat down and read it. Oh, so a- I support it. I don't understand it, but I support it. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. With all of our inspirations, we've also been doing our due diligence and checking mm. out various games. Marley, what have you been checking out? Well, it's it's been like a full month, basically, and we've had the freedom to, to, to go through different books, and which meant that instead of taking it easy, I have made myself read uh, a very, well, a relatively long book. It's probably the longest book I've gone through since um, Fathom. Fathom, I think, was, I think, 200 or 300 pages or something. And so I sat down and read a 235-page book, which is a Blades in the Dark Hex Crawler set in uh, War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. It is called As the Sun Forever Sets by Rayleigh Daniels. Um, and it rules. It's like one of these things. Um, I, I've gravi- gravitated towards it because it is a, uh, you know, it is it is it is a Blaze in the Dark game that is like explicitly like, all right, here are the rules of Blaze in the Dark. And here is a list of rules that I've gotten rid of that I'm not really using. Um, it doesn't have any action ratings. Instead, you have traits. Um, it doesn't have any special abilities or anything like that. And you basically play as pretty much anyone in 1899 um, England as as the Martians arrive, the tripods break out, the cylinders crash land to the ground, and you run through a post-apocalyptic setting. Um, playing as these Victorian people. Um, you can play, like, basically your character is defined by traits. So you have, like, you can be a pickpocket, 
uh, who is who is mischievous. Uh, you can have a. I think you can probably play as like the queen. You can play probably theoretically as the queen of England, uh, Queen Victoria, <laughs> because like there's no real limit. Um, but it's it the way the 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 actions work are really fun because with a regular Blaze of the Dark thing, you think of like, is this action going to help me? Is this contact going to help me? Or is an enemy going to hinder me? Instead, every role is like, will my traits help me or hinder me? So you can get a thing that's like, oh, I'm I'm a pickpocket, but I'm mischievous. So I'm going to pickpocket a policeman, but they will suspect me because I'm mischievous. And so you get a negative from the mischievous, but a positive from that. So if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, I'm really, I really like it. I think it's a really interesting and fun little, little, little game, um, and it's also really cool because it's unlike another, any other like post-apocalyptic kind of game. It's like apocalyptic because post-apocalyptic comes afterwards. It's explicitly like called as the sun forever sets, which references um, the sun never sets on the British Empire or whatever, which is a famous like phrase about you know the British Empire and how it like covered half the world. And yeah. so this is it's basically like what if what if another British Empire invaded the British Empire or what if another power invaded the British Empire and sort of like explores what that is like and it's to some degree it's like a lot of um, post apocalyptic fiction or apocalyptic fiction i guess where you know a place you know well like what if new york was invaded by a kaiju what if you know what if the what if what if the day after tomorrow happens and like the water hits and so what if life in a in a in a very safe country like america i guess more relatively safe country like america experienced tragedies and war like other countries have and are inflicted on by like american stuff like that and so it's this kind of like interesting um, exploration of of that kind of thing, um, and it also like you know the the end game of it is like okay after the Martians arrive and they die because of because of bacteria or whatever, um, which is how the the novel ends. Um, instead of going with the the way the novel ends the book, it like asks you like okay what happens to the British Empire? What happens like? the day it ends what happens a week after it ends and what happens a year after it ends and so um i've asked on the discord uh, a bunch of people like what 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 happened with theirs and um they have said that basically you know britain was destroyed it's like a no man's land and a bunch of other countries fight to to take control of it as this sort of like a british diaspora and like mm. independence happens in various colonies and stuff like that and so yeah it's it's extremely interesting um yeah yeah, I'm looking through the game. I really like the goodwill mechanic as like a bond. Mm. It's it's it doesn't explicitly reference uh, a, a beam saber, but it has a lot of similar mechanics as beam saber. Like if you are a good friend with someone and you have more goodwill, uh, when you help, you give two dice instead of the usual one. Mm. But if they if they take stress or fatigue in this game, then you take fatigue too. There's also like. There's so many different resources in this game, which is one of the things that I'm like, I would love to play this game simply because of the story, but there's a lot of things to keep in mind. Like, um, unlike Fathom, where I read through it, and I feel like, okay, I've got a good grasp on it. I feel like I have to probably read through this a couple more times in order to grasp, like, what's the difference between, you know, goodwill and, and 
you know, various injuries. How do I, how do, when do I get a trait? When do I, you know, get all these other things? It's also instead of like stress, you have um, fatigue, but also there's also disquiet, which builds up into despair and gives you nightmares. Um, it's, yeah, it's very complicated. There's a lot of like different systems kind of working in there. Um, which yeah. can be overwhelming, but it's it's interesting. I really want to see like how this plays out. Yeah, like I think one of the ones that catches my eye is um, the way areas evolve, and yes. you know you have your different levels of wanted. Yeah, but this is applying to an area where certain things are not accessible, makes the objective more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and the plans versus like the plans are very very different as well. Yes. Where even just like finding a place to camp is like danger. Yeah, it's 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 amazing because like whereas in Blades in the Dark, when you do a heist, you pick your approach, which is like, I'm gonna do assault, I'm gonna do, you know, uh infiltration or something. The plans for this thing is like literally what do you wanna do next? Do you wanna like set up a camp and fortify it? Do you want to mm-hmm. like look for something, including like, you know, a family member or like food? Or do you want to do, I think it generally calls it, let me try and find this. Uh, oh. um, my thing's frozen. But it, it's basically like, do you want to like travel? And that's like a different approach. Uh, and and yeah, it's sort of like, it's much more like each different approach changes how the game works, um, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And the thing you were saying about territories, that's the invasion of the Martians. And yeah. so, like, they appear in one spot. It's like, um, what's it called? It's like, it's like level one, which is, uh, I want to try and find an easy. I mean, it's kind of the thing with this game that it's kind of like hard to find where everything is. There's like a fun like um, quick start guy, but I'm just like trying to find specific terms and stuff like this. Uh, oh god this is also so there are some games out there like you know darkest dungeon would be an example of this where it is a meat grinder yes and i'm i'm at the losing a character stage and then i'm right after that is the wake yeah so Uh, so, the wake being the that's so fascinating so the wake is really interesting because the wake is the end of the game it is like the the epilogue where it describes like what happens if people die, you know what happens to them. Um, but if people are lost, you roll to sort of see what happens. Um, and then you describe what happens to Britain as it is. And like, how extensive is the invasion? Did it just stop at Britain or did it go off to, to France, to all over the world? And the Martians have wrecked the place. Do the Martians come back? Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of, it is, it is kind of really interesting because like the game as it is says, this whole thing will last 16 days. The whole campaign will last a maximum of 16 days because like after that point, the bacteria will claim the Martians and the, the red weed and they will all die. And it's kind of, it's an interesting thing, especially like, like looking back at, you know, war of the worlds and considering like, was that, is that just like HG Wells being like, okay, I've been writing this serially for uh, several years i gotta end this story i guess bacteria gets them and then that's kind of like we don't have to resolve what happens next with uh with the martians it just like they just die of bacteria um and so it's it's interesting having almost like a deus ex machina end of the game because like if this was about 
countries invading other countries, that wouldn't end after 16 days. An infection would magically like wipe out everybody and it would just kind of continue going. And so, yeah, it is, it is, it is interesting. Um, yeah. And so, yes, so it's, it's particularly like, um, I think I sent this over to, um, to Ashen because we were previously talking about like a project that Ashen is working on. I won't say too much more, um, but it is involving kind of like a nice, like interesting hex crawl. And it sort of approaches the idea of doing um, a blaze of the dark on a bigger scale than just a city. And Mm -hmm. I also really like the idea of doing a hex crawl on an existing location uh, it is like, oh, this is a place where, you know, people could potentially live. Like, if I was in England and I was like, oh, we can just set it in Whitby, my hometown. You know, that's, it's interesting. And this this game talks about bleed a little bit. And it's just like, what is that like? But, mm-hmm. yeah. There's so many mechanics to this game, but it's really interesting. It's one of those things I have, like, five characters in mind for, like, playing this. But I also don't know how to be like, hey, everybody, do you want to play England? <laughs> like, do you want to play England at the turn of the century fighting Martians? Like, yeah. Yeah, I would love to see, like, another module of this. Like, I know the base material, what it was based off. I would like to see, like, different interpretations of this kind of game. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is like, again, this is taking Blaze of the Dog and making an entirely different game. Like, it feels mm-hmm. a lot like that. A lot, of, a lot of similar sort of rolling mechanics, but just like the amount of changes it has and stuff like that um and its approach to doing um uh, apocalyptic kind of fiction is is really cool and it's also like really good fan fiction in that like it looks at things like war of the worlds and just like what if we change the ending so that it wasn't just hp um hg wells being like man you know what the, the bacteria of the world is part of the British Empire and it stopped the invading Martians. And so the British Empire wins, which is kind of how that book ends, which is which is weird because H.G. Wells was a socialist, but he wasn't a wasn't a radical or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it is it is interesting to sort of like have a modern take on that and have a game that includes like queer characters explicitly and like encourages you to sort of like change the norms of society while also like introducing them um and yes i'm feeling a little jumbled describing it but that's mostly because there's so much in this book there's so much like it's 235 pages yeah of that 200 might have writing on it yeah and it's 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 great like my favorite bits are absolutely the the end bit which is like um describes all the interesting characters and stuff like that and like the like various theories about like how the like what we know about the 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 Martian crafts, but also has like a list of example NPCs, like many of which are like you know queer. Um, and so yeah, so this game is good. I recommend checking it out. It's currently like half price. Um, the 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 it is currently in development. Um, so it is, it is usually $20 USD, but it's now $10 USD while it's um, being de- uh, developed. Um, and yeah, it is very complicated. If, if, if people would like to play this, please get in contact. I want to try and like organize maybe doing a game if I have time um, on their official Discord server. But this is really cool. This is my shit. <laughs> I just got to like get the rules of my brain. And I'm yeah. actually joining the server right now. Yeah. I would like to confirm that I've read the rules. But yeah, um, it, this, 
is a very nice game, and I like that it... So, Forge in the Dark games typically are meant to be kind of short, you know, some few sessions. I like that this says you have 16 days exactly. Yeah. There's a lot you can do within those 16 days, or there is not enough that you can do. And it's also like it takes people six months to play 16 days, which I've heard. Like the main playtest or something apparently took 16 month, uh, six months to play. And I'm like, huh? How does that work? It's so different to Blaze the Dog. We just kind of blaze through it. <laughs> Anything else you've been checking out at all? Uh, yes. I've been checking out something completely different, which is my most anticipated board game um, <laughs> of the last couple of years. Uh, it is it is the one thing I bought from PAX, apart from one t-shirt, because I felt like I was obliged to. Um, I bought Monopoly Fortnite Edition, <laughs> which is sick. <laughs> like, um, to start this off, I want to sit down, I want to I wanna sit with you and talk to you about my experience with Monopoly. When I was a kid, I played Monopoly, and I didn't like it. I've spoken to a lot of people, similar thing. Anytime there's like a new version of Monopoly out, people have the same opinion. It's the same game, except it's Friends. So that means like every, I mean, I haven't played Fortnite Friends, uh, Monopoly Friends, but like, it's just like, oh, the, the locations change locations from the, from, from the, the setting. You can maybe play as iconic objects, but it's still Monopoly. And a couple of years ago, I heard about Monopoly Fortnite. And initially, I was just like, that is so funny. They're just kind of cashing it in. They're doing the regular thing. And then I started to look into the rules, and it's incredible. Like, it's it doesn't have money. It doesn't have... You don't buy property. Uh, you have weapons. Uh, you have bandages. You heal yourself. And I've just heard about it. And the more I've looked into it, I'm more like, they're actually doing different things with Monopoly. You know, they're not doing like a, a straight like reskin. This is like in interesting design work. Um, the unfortunate thing is I don't have the name of any of the designers that worked on it, save one, uh, which is the lead developer, uh, Randy uh, Klimpert. Uh, but there's apparently like a huge design team working on this and who basically like had the freedom to be like, Okay, we're working with two IPs. We're working with Monopoly, we're working for Hasbro and Monopoly, but we're also trying to integrate Fortnite. Um, and I think that um, a lot of the culture around like uh, Monopoly adaptations has been like, we've got to do something interesting to keep people like on board. Because pretty much every friend I've talked to about Fortnite Monopoly have been like, it's just going to be a reskin. I'm not interested with this. And as a result, this is my theory. I don't know. This is not confirmed. Um, but they've made a lot of like really interesting games recently. And um, one of them is Fortnite Monopoly, in which they added a bunch of interesting new rules. Um, for instance, you can build walls. And walls are great because they can shield you from people shooting at you, which people can shoot in a straight line on either of the edges if they can see you. If they're standing on a corner, they can shoot like both north and west or whatever. Um, and if you have a wall up, you can you can avoid that shot. But walls also stop you on bad spaces. Um, so you stop there and then like you get sent to prison or whatever. Um, and so it has this interesting tactical combat layer. Uh, you also, instead of drawing like, there's like community chests and something else. 
uh, uh, chance cards. Um, instead of that, you have like a storm deck. So you pick up a storm deck and like one of the locations gets consumed by the storm. So if you land in it, you lose two HP or five HP or something. And then you can also draw uh, something from the loot deck, which is like weapons, which allows you to shoot anywhere on the board, not just in a straight line. And it has like a bunch of incredibly interesting, like just mechanics that they just kind of threw in. Um, and you play until you die. You can drop down traps. If you die, you drop all your stuff on the space you died and people can just pick it up. Um, and I'm just like, and, and also like all the pieces, instead of just being like, uh, instead of just being like a thimble or whatever, it is like literally like Fortnite skins. So you pick your favorite skins at the start of the game and then you play as like the fish stick or whatever. Um, and so I'm so excited to play, but I have absolutely no one to play it with because no one wants to play Monopoly. <laughs> and yeah, I'm so excited for it because it's just like, I'm wondering what becomes of Monopoly in the next couple of years because it's very popular, but I feel like it's very popular with like an older audience. I don't know many people my age who are just like, I want to play a board game. I want to play Monopoly. Um, and I feel weird in my role because like, I don't really like Hasbro. I don't really like Epic Games. They're a big, awful corporation who are just kind of like, you know, swallowing up other games and and taking a lot of the great stuff out of it and not giving back. Um, and so, like, I'm the the lone spokesperson or whatever. I'm not the lone sp- spokesperson for Monopoly. But, like, I'm the person who's just like, you should check this out because it's really interesting and they're doing, like, fun new designs. Um, but I'm also just like, you shouldn't support these people. You should get, like, fun, interesting games. But I'm, but I'm at least excited that Monopoly is having the freedom to do interesting new things you know it's like it's not just doing the same things it isn't restricted to the core formula it is doing wild interesting design choices and it's worth checking out if you want to see what monopoly has become um but also don't support them (laughs) so i don't know (laughs) it it's weird it just the way you talked about it the game itself is weird i'm not gonna lie but it it's very interesting at least and like how they're trying to refresh monopoly a bit and i guess make it relatable yeah but but like would someone like it's it's so interesting because like would someone who likes fortnite play monopoly probably not they got fortnite i've been playing fortnite the last couple days and it's really fun um it's kind of empty in some ways but it's really fun and so like i can see this as a way of trying to grab people and bring them into monopoly and trying to enjoy it but it's just like the early experiences might have just damaged it. Like people's experiences with Monopoly, they're just like not really interested in it. And so I'm thinking the only reason someone would come back and pick it up would be that either they like Monopoly or they're like me and thought it was funny. And so that's why they pick it up and they're just like, oh my God, this game's amazing. So no idea. I'm curious yeah. what becomes of Monopoly in the next, you know, 10, 20 years. I imagine it's still going to be like a staple of the board game night though, because... So, like, as a kid, you know, that was, like, one of the first games that I got introduced to for a board game. You know? I've heard that. People, it's often people's first uh, board game that they've ever played, and it's, like, why they play other board games. They, a a lot of people are very explicit about not playing Monopoly anymore. God. Um, games I've been looking at, um, I'll start with the easy one. I fucking love Dialect. Okay. Uh, dialect, a game about language and how it dies by Catherine Himes and Hakan Sayalagu. I'm going, I'm Sayalagu. Sayalagu. Thank you. 
I'm not sure, but that's yeah. That sounds close. Apologies if we mispronounced it. Yeah, but I love this game. I think it's a great introduction to alternative tabletop games, and it's a great teaching material too. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. It does one thing I love seeing in games, which is read to play. You read it and you play as you mm-hmm. go along. It sets you up on the path. It gives you examples. And it makes it to where you can easily set up a game, you know, within 15 minutes, explaining the mechanics, and then you go in for about three to four hours playing a game and building a language. It's also very pretty on the inside. I have, the, I found the physical copies, and yeah. I have, like, a little nice, uh, like, uh, knit sack to go with it. It's so pretty. It's It's so pretty. It is a very fun game, especially if you want to kind of figure out how your world looks what it, uh and i think that applies to almost any system you can figure out a lot of different ways to incorporate this game into your campaign if you want to do someone's backstory or explore what their culture would look like or even talk about how game language develops as mm. well i think it does a great job of showing how phrases and uh ways of speaking are born and change in different languages um Myself only having like a minor part focusing on English, but I'm sure if I play those with uh, native speakers or of different countries or of different lands, they would have their own input as well. And they become they would have their own ways of speaking, too. Um, So so I know about this game from uh, I think Friends of the Table played it on their road to uh, Partisan uh, series. But like for people who are new to it, like what is dialect? What is what is in, so in dialect words. is a game, a game about language and that you are a community of people who the way I pitch it to people a lot is you are a community who have strived and created their own culture and you are learning. And there is a challenge that gets in your way and either this challenge, this challenge or overcoming force will either assimilate you or get rid of you. And the words that you say will be what is left of your culture. It is a GMless game uh, for about three to five people, and you ha- you get to create characters, connect with them. They all have different uh, parts of themselves, different aspects. You get to talk about what the community values most and how your character relates or is in opposition of that value. You get to go through different ages as well, major events that change your community and shake it up. And there are a lot of different pathways you can go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not get a chance to play it over the weekend, sadly. I was kind of hoping I could, but just never found time. But I did get to dig through, read it a little bit. And it's very endearing. You can find a lot more actual plays of it as well. I believe Fawn and Games does it. Uh, mm-hmm. Wooly Versus also has one for his uh, Table Lord series okay. on YouTube, if you want to check that out. Um, which I think is really cool because they are... It is a group of people who are very new to the tabletop scene who got to play this game, considering it a board game, and got a chance to jump in on that. Yeah. Again, a really interesting way of approaching that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other game I got to check out was Cantrip, which is a belonging outside belonging game, meaning no dice, no masters. Uh, really, really cute game. It is by... Oh, I, by Misha Panarin. I did write it down. I am smart. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but it is 
it is you going to our house. It's you playing little. It's you joining the story of Little Witch Academia or um, enjoying the life and being part of the town in Kiki's delivery service. It's a lot of very, very sweet storytelling. And it is high school or college drama. um, Very slice of life. No really big, like big, bad, evil guy coming in. It is people just living their lives, being selfish and selfless one moment and the next. Uh, building and finding bonds, connections, facing authority figures and learning from them and or rejecting them entirely. It's a very queer game about magical girls, and it's very, very sweet. I mm. had so much fun reading through the book and staring at the art as well, which is very well done. I believe it is art from I had the name in my head. And then I erased the name. It is by Celeste Cruz. Celeste does a wonderful job of bringing this world to life and giving just a great idea of what this magical world looks like and all the different kind of people in there. Yeah. Along with that, you got the different playbooks as well. I fell in love with the breaker and the senior, the senior being like they're on their last lap. They're tired. They're overwhelmed. The breaker being, I've been watching Owl House a lot. This is very much like if you watch Owl House, it's lose. It's your very protagonist energy. It's the character who will go out and uh, make mistakes or no, I'm sorry. That's the starstruck I'm thinking of. (laughs) The starstruck is the new character who comes in and discovers the world of magic by accident or through fate, whatever is needed. It is they're just very much wide eye and innocent and very prone to mistakes. You know, they have a whole new life going ahead of them. There's the hedge who are very much the magic and nature correspond with each other and work to prove that and work through that. You have the posh who is the long line of uh, witches and wizards and whatever. The breaker causes trouble. The breaker is, oh gosh, what's a character that would relate to that? They're the ones who would uh, cause the most trouble, who are most likely to break the rules, who are like very tough on the outside, but there's so much fan fiction of them Mm. um, being very soft and innocent and having those moments of weakness, which is very, very nice. But belonging outside belonging games. So if I had to pitch it, it would be this would be a game. I had this talk with my partner. She does not like looking at numbers. It's why she's very adverse to D&D. It's a lot of math. Uh, You have to think about all these different rules and such. Belonging outside belonging games in general and cantrip would be a great introduction to the to the uh, rule system, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It does a great job of saying, no, carry the conversation. Let yourself make mistakes. Pay attention to your lures. Pay attention to what people are saying and have that conversation and give people an opportunity to shine by giving them tokens and take advantage of those tokens to give yourself opportunities to shine or make yourself weak to get your own. Yeah, it's. It is very pick up and play, and it also allows the players to get in trouble at the table as well, too, by playing the aspects of the world, whether they're an authority figure, whether they are a force of nature, whether they are just fate itself, uh, aspects being a staple of the belonging outside belonging games, where this is one of the way other ways you can cause conflict and strife in your community and in the lives of your player characters. It's such a nice, good game. 
Uh, it's gorgeous. It asks you to be vulnerable, be inquisitive, and create broad strokes by filling the world with magic and whimsy. If, giving it a chance, if I had people who did not want to play a dice rolling game, this would be the first one I would go to. It looks so good. Like I'm really liking the art for this and stuff like mm-hmm. this. Um, yeah, that's really cool to hear. Yeah, it's just nice, soft, and sweet, which is what we need more of. Yeah. Now, on to the big topic we had for the game, t- for the show today. Wow, for the game today. We're gaming, too. For the game today. <laughs> we played the game. What was the name of that game, by the um, way? The European game. I had no name for it, so... Uh, I guess it's called, like, the uh, opening strike. I'm just going to throw a name out there. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Thank you. Opening, opening strike's good. <laughs> I'll write that down. So, our topic today was... Pitching your game to folks, especially in like a large audience setting. Yes. Where there are a lot of different people to like approach this game to. And also a little bit of what are we looking for when we look for a game? What catches our eye? I did message Mm. some people in different discords to get an idea of what they look for and what they're thinking about when they're going for games. But there was a very interesting panel when we were DMing each other and you were at PAX Aus that you mentioned about that yeah. caught my eye, and I thought it would be a g- great topic for this week. Yeah, there's a lot of really good panels at that one. Um, but yeah, uh, to, to start with, um, what did you find from 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 asking about a bunch of uh, people in the in the various discords and stuff? Like, what was because because I think your question was along the lines of how do you get players into a game? How do you like sell yeah. a game to people? Like, from you asking so many different things, how do you succinctly sum up all of that into a single sentence? Go now, please. Okay, in a single sentence. Shit. (laughs) That's your sentence. There it is. That's it. Um, But I think a lot of the responses I've been getting is they really try to find, let's see, uh, role plus bond, that's the genre thing. One person just straight up says, if I pitch people on Blades, I just take the last statement in the setting which is you're in a haunted victorian era city trapped inside a wall of lightning powered by demon blood that's my pitch about blades in the dark Mm. which works which is another person also says something about like it is uh something meets dishonored i can't remember Um, that game uh i think that's in the same chat yeah it's in the same chat for sure uh something meets dishonored um Uh, shenmue Shenmue Miss Dishonored, which, like, I've played Blaze the Dark a lot. I have a vague idea of what Shenmue is. It is very different to my my method of playing uh, Blaze the Dark. And um, Shenmue is the one I'm thinking yeah. about, right? Where you walk around saying, like, hey, have you seen some sailors? Uh, yeah, it's like, that is not my experience of playing that. Um, I, I think that I found, like, a recurring sort of things from this is either people are just like it is like this you know popular media meets this popular media and like this is what it's like um and then there's things like the uh the 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 blades in the dark thing where it's just like this is what the system this is what the world is like and this is what's going Mm -hmm. on here um and it's kind of interesting it's like uh, a lot of the people were talking about rules as well as being like a core reason like, um, I thought I saw something, uh, where someone had like three different, I should have made yeah. more notes than this, but I was, it was well, very early in the morning. 
Uh, I can touch up a little bit too. Some of the notes people are saying are just like, I think one of the interesting statements I got from uh, one of the groups was, uh, I try to find games that take a mechanical problem from the best game in, in the genre and fix it. The mm. example they're giving it for one is like it's thirsty swords lesbian thirsty sword lesbians, but the romance matters. You know, yeah, stuff like that. Um, uh, and the Huntsman's Hydra server, uh, Asher Works says they pitch it using references that are generally close to it. So Blades and Dark being close to Mistborn, Shadow and Bone, uh, Dishonored. Victorian mm-hmm. Gothic, uh, Mischievous Red brought yeah. up that its simplicity, or at least a modified version of an existing system, is a yeah uh, one of the ways she looks at new games and tries to pitch on that. So you know some sense of familiarity. Uh, yeah, um, I I saw one here, which is um, um, a, a person from the Role Plus Bond Discord, which is like. The one metric I used is making a character is it a couple of tables to roll from versus three pages of questions versus 16 page chapter to mechanically work through plus usually 20 more pages of options to read through and choose from um, which is is interesting because it's just like a lot of the time people are just like what how much time am I going to spend making characters is it going to be something I can make quick or is it going to be something that I can like spend a lot of time with and like my usual impulse is make it quick that's the best but it's also like sometimes people do want to take the time to make an interesting character and like spend that session zero making like really fun things like in particular i'm thinking of like good society where i love the characters that come from that i love the process of going through that and discovery that comes from that but I also like games where I spend like 20 seconds making that and i also know that like different people i play with are interested yeah. in different things um, I I will qualify like I will say my sample size is flawed because I am asking people who are in the indie who specifically look for indie games when I ask this question. Yes, and like yeah, again it would be fascinating to go like what do you look for in a, in a way by way of pitching for people who only play D anD D or people I mean people who only play board games which I'm sneaking into the inside the table thing even though I don't really like board games. Um, just to sort of see what they think. I think another thing that a lot of people talk about is how they hear it from other folks. Uh, in one of the groups, this person mentioned, yeah. and also through AP podcasts as well, too. Uh, Party of One being like one of my go-tos of, I need to find a new game with something new and unique and different. And it's Party of One usually has that in the, in the can. Mm. Um, but one person says like they love hearing the story of how someone's session went in a system. Which, yeah, to me is always a great way to get more people hooked in. Um, but at that point, I think what's also interesting as well is you're getting them interested in the story that you tell. You're getting them interested in the vehicle, but they have yet to get in behind the wheel of the vehicle to drive it themselves. So you might be having fun with it, but they could walk away the whole different experience. Yeah. Like one of the things, I mean, we'll, we'll probably go back in, into detail about this when we go into like what what like draws us to games, which is again not being like, hey, make this game, so we'll talk about your game. It's more like, what are we like as people who play games drawn to? Um, one of the things that I'm always drawn to is systems that allow you to do wild stuff. It's like the idea of um, 
like a system just lets you do that. Not that the fact that like you can do this in the system, not that like, oh, we, we blew up the whole city in Blades of the Dark, but like the idea that there is a mechanic where you can like be in charge of a kaiju or something in, or like a Leviathan in Blades of the Dark is like, like if that was like built into the text and if you go to like page 412, it like says that's what you do, I would be like, holy crap. Like the, the system, the person who made the system wanted to wanted you to do these things and encouraged you to do like incredibly wild things always gets me extremely excited for like a particular system. Like I'm very drawn towards like really interesting rules with a lot of freedom <laughs> to them. I, I think I'm kind of on the same path as well. Another, and this was a common answer as well too, is as I dipped into more games, I started looking for more narratively driven games and less crunchy games. So I mm. don't get me wrong. I will hype up Lancer. I will hype up icon. There are games of D and D where I'm like, yes, this is why D and D is fun. Yeah. But if I'm, and you know, as the sun says, had this issue too, where if a book has more than mm. 50 to a hundred pages, I really need to be invested because I am not going through all that. Yeah. Or like if I do, I need to just find the critical parts and pull those out and read them. And then maybe I'll go back and read the rest. Like I did that to Blades in the Dark. I only looked at the playbooks. And then when I wanted some more story stuff, that's where I started digging through the entire book all the way. Mm. I've had a similar thing with like Spire where I basically read through the cool rules for it. And through the big world parts, I just felt so overwhelmed just because there was so much to work in that I was just like, okay, I'm going to do what this game suggests, which is basically like build your own version of the Spire and basically ignore all these things and focus on like the bits that are important to the story I'm telling. Um, similarly, I've played, you know, a bunch of Powered by the Apocalypse games like, um, I mean, Plays in the Dark, but like so many different games where I've just like, all right, I have the quick start rules and I can just play the game by looking at those. And just being like, okay, I have these in front of me. I know what to do from this. And that's like a lot of the times when, I've d when I'm designing games and doing things like that, I just do the quick start rules and then I'll either publish those and just be like, you can play this using what I've done um, or I'll do something like, okay, now I'm going to flesh out these rules. I'm going to start like writing more detailed about this so people need examples of play and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It all makes more sense to them. Um, but also contrastingly to you, I, I am a person who, like, if I want to play a game, I will stick to, like, the 50-page rule, too. But I'm also, like, in doing this podcast, I've just, like, really started to enjoy reading a lot of things. Like, I really enjoyed reading, um, like, sequentially reading uh, both As the Sun Forever Sets and and Fathom, just because it's, it's such an interesting way of experiencing a book. Like, um you like read a mechanic and you're like, oh, it references this other mechanic, which hasn't appeared yet. What is that going to be? What is, what does this mean? Um, and, uh, uh, as the sun forever sets is really interestingly laid out because it is like, it, it sort of starts off almost as like a table of contents where it just goes through in the first section of the book. Like all, these are all these things that exist, all the mechanics in brief. And then it has a link to those, those mechanics being explained in more detail. Um, the result of which is I got a sort of a vague idea, but I always felt like I had to be clicking back and forth a bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do just like, in, I've started to really enjoy just sitting down and reading 300 page books, even though I do like be like, okay, I have to, I have to read this for a podcast, I have to read it really quickly, or oh, there's all this stress around it and yeah. stuff like that. But um, I just read it for the stories, most of all, and reading like the experience of going through it, um, which I've really, really, really enjoyed. Yeah, the the... 
that's definitely like one part of it too, where like I definitely need to find games I'm interested in because I do want to read those. And it gets mm. into this point where I start digging around and I'm finding all these different systems. I, I would like to at one point get someone who is extremely invested in the D and D, uh, set up as well too, just kind of talk to them about these same questions mm. that we've had that I kind of, again, if you ever do a research study, please make sure you have a very nice, diverse sample to pull from yeah. and don't just pull all from your indie people. And don't get me yeah. wrong. Some of these pl- folks do strictly play D and D, but yeah. a lot more of them play this play Indies. Yeah. And, uh, it, I think, I think one of these days I'm probably going to just like sit down and read like the dungeon Muscles guide. Just be- I mean, it's kind of, it's interesting. I have mixed feelings about like D and D, but like, I feel like reading through that again, in light of like all the other books that I've re- read recently and just kind of comparing them and seeing what my feelings are about it would be an interesting kind of thing because, you know, unfortunately D&D is the biggest game there is mm-hmm. and it's incredibly disheartening. And I like to highlight other games that aren't that. And there are so many really good games. It's the point of this podcast. There are a lot of really good games out there. In regards to like pitching things and so forth, one one thing I want to bring up is uh, like we mentioned before that a lot of people say it's like this game, but this game. Um, when I was at PAX, one of the things that come up is a lot of people, a lot of the game designers, um, they were they were asking questions specifically about um, uh, about like how do people like feel about comparing your game to a more popular game, and it's stuff like you know a bunch of people had. Um, I forget. I mean, there was a lot of games there, but a lot of people were just like talking about how, you know, they made a game and people come up to them and say like, oh, this is like the more popular game over here. Like, how do people feel about that? And like the the unanimous answer from a lot of the panelists there was that that's great. Like both from like a sale perspective, but also like that's extremely, you know, seeing this game as like Catan, which is one of the most popular games ever, is great because not only like is that a game that probably inspired them. But it's also like it is a game that people can come to them and just be like, oh, it's like Catan. I have an instant. I know what Catan is. I like Catan. There's an audience there. This game is going to be like that. Um, It makes me think a lot about how a lot of uh, tabletop role playing games are trying to be the gateway thing for Dungeons & Dragons, like Dungeons & Dragons, but resistance which is kind of heart the city beneath kind of they never really market it that way but that is that is an interesting kind of way of pitching it uh where it is like you're delving through like a a big tunnel a big like you know underground city and doing that stuff and so that's like a way of bringing like the D audience over there to this uh to like a new like window of different games um, but what is interesting about that is it allow it makes people feel like they have to make a D&D. And so they, they, they're trying to take a lot of ideas from D&D to make like a new kind of system. And so it's, it's kind of interesting in that like it is a great way of like both making money and also like introducing people to new things. But it, it, it forces you to engage with a very popular project because it's popular. Um, and that's that's. It's an interesting thing. And it's like, at the same time, if you make like really interesting, like different games, like, you know, I think like any of the, a lot of the indie games that we've, we've talked about haven't been anywhere near as, as popular as D&D because they're, they're out there doing really interesting, different things. Like, I'm not sure like how big the audience is for people who want to play War of the Worlds in the world. Like, I don't know if I can go up to like my friends and just be like, hey, remember H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds or Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, which is a, 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 a 
rumination on 9-11 what if you could play that and i don't know how many people would be like oh hell yeah i'm down for that um i haven't asked yet but i'm like i'm feeling it's it's less of an easy pitch than it would be for um for D, which is interesting because like at the same time it is hitching its wagon to war of the worlds which is like an easy bam here is this here is this big media that you can connect to yeah yeah the connection is really interesting especially when people try to make the gap from D into another system even easier and we see that a lot we saw hmm. that with uh dungeon world for example or the fellowship as yeah. well um untitled dungeon game which is now going by the name hearth Hearth of Hero Lights by uh, they're in the role plus bond by uh, Mitch Shewal. Uh, they yeah. made they made D anD D into a Forge in the Dark game as a joke, and then the joke went hmm. further. Yeah, I I love throwing this game to people and be like, you if you want to try D anD D game, but in a different system, I have it for you. Yeah, it like literally has like a lot of the main classes and stuff like that. Yeah, and it breaks down like this how spell casting works in a similar way it does for D anD D. You have your divine and arcane casters. You have uh, damage types and immunities and resistances and limited spell list. You have all the stuff of D anD D, but now compacted into uh, Forge in the Dark, which is fantastic in my opinion. Yeah, I I still need to play it. It is it's an interesting thing and. Again, it's that hitching the wagon. And, you know, a lot of people do hitch their wagon. Sometimes they have a system or a setting that doesn't necessarily have to be D&D, but they put the mm-hmm. D&D tag on it to encourage people to play their game. To encur- uh, I think uh, actually a good example uh, I want to pull from is Carrion Comfort Studios. They do a lot of indie games. They do Monster Heart, uh, Yazabuzz, Bed and Breakfast. A uh, whole uh, um, ton of indie games of uh, lots of variety. But when you look at them and they stream their games live on Twitch, it's under the Dungeons and Dragons tag because that's what gets clicked on the most. Which is which is interesting because like uh, uh, one of the things that came up when when at that PAX panel about like D&D was that like the DMs Guild, which is the famous marketplace for all like semi-licensed, I guess, uh, D&D products is that it is swamped it is hard to find anything on there because it is so overpacked with so many different projects here and there mm-hmm. and so like if you put it under the D&D pack like yes you've got a D&D audience but it, there's also going to be so much stuff over there that you're trying to like differentiate yourself between so yeah that's it's it's a it's a it's a weird little like I mean it'd be inter- like again I am not a big time like publisher on itch like i have a couple of games they've sold a couple of things and that is it like i do not have the experience of someone like spencer campbell who like makes a living basically doing stuff like that as as i understand it or like grant howard as well too grant howard who has like a huge publishing house kind of well kind of uh huge i guess it's i don't know it's a public indie scene it is huge like if i go up to other indie designers and i say y'all heard of grant howard They'll be like, yeah. yeah, Bear Game. Bear Game, Rowan, Rook, and Decker, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they have small scale and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, it would be interesting to hear like their take on like how much they want to like do various games and so forth. Am, am I okay to segue? Because one of the things I want to talk about is why we picked our four games, how we heard about them, and why they, they caught our interest. Yeah. Um, 
do you want to do you want to start or shall I? Shall we flip a coin, roll a dice? Uh, here, you go ahead. Roll into this okay. one and. Yeah. All right, I'll roll. I'll roll. I'll roll as in say or roll a dice. Roll in. You say. Okay, so I picked. I just picked as the sun forever sets. Um, and Fortnite Monopoly Edition for similar reasons in that it seems so unexpected. I'm like, I'm always drawn to games that take something that I know and that I'm familiar with and then take a big swing with it. Like the idea of being like, okay, as the Sun Forever sets is a Forge in the Dark game based on Blades in the Dark. Okay, I know that. I've read a bunch of games like that. I've read, I've read, you know, Blades in the Dark. I've, I've read, um, scum and villainy which is a very loose hack which i've never been impressed with because of that and it's like okay not only are we going to set it in in uh something like um 1899 uh england and have it be a hex crawl but like we're gonna get rid of stats we're gonna like take a lot of the ideas about like advantages and disadvantages and just like throw it all out there throw it throw it away and come up with something brand new um it is it, it, it like even like stuff like uh, engagement roles, which typically have you asking questions, is is the number of dice you have is basically whoever participates in them. It's like what skills do they have that would help with this? And it's very like person focused. It's got lots more interpersonal stuff, which D and D has always struggled with. Uh, no, not D and D. Uh, Blaze in the Dark has always struggled with, um, and it has very strong stuff like that. And it's just like we're going to do something new with it. We're going to take something and we're going to see what works and see what doesn't. And we're going to do something entirely new. Um, to be honest, I'm also drawn to it because like when I was a kid, I read war of the worlds and thought it was really interesting. I watched, you know, the, the, the Steven Spielberg movie of war of the worlds, which as again, as I said, is very inspired by like nine 11 and about like the fear of, of Islam basically taking over America you know, this is 2007, it came out, and it's a blatant piece of propaganda and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, I watched it and I thought it was a really cool film when I was a kid. And now that I'm an adult, I'm just like, all right, how do we approach this from an anti-imperialist angle? And how do we approach this and look at it and just be like, this is about the fall of the British Empire. This is about, like, what happens afterwards. Like, does, I mean, it, it's not even directly about that. It's about, like, you know does the British Empire fail or does it like rise from strength to strength after this, this disaster and allows you to explore interesting ideas. Um, and so, yeah, I'm drawn to it both because mechanically it's, it's, it's asking a lot of questions and analyzing a previous text and making new like things, but also like textually it's taking stuff like war of the worlds and just being like, let's do something new. Um, and monopoly Fortnite edition <laughs> is, 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 like I'm really drawn to Fortnite because it is an extremely interesting like game that is made. It is a big corporate machine that like incorporates a lot of like, you know, corporate entities and combines it, but also does a lot of really interesting experimental gameplay. Like stopping a game for 16 hours and making people sit in a void and wait for something to happen. And the idea that it will not last, it will go away. It will drift away and it like you know, go away. It, it, it's also a very exploitative game that like, um, you know, makes people pay money. Like I paid like $11 or something to, to play this damn game and to do a season pass. And like next time, if I continue doing like the season pass, I'm going to do this. And it's like, as a cultural object, it's a really interesting thing. And I don't think Monopoly Fortnite edition does the analysis of that, but at least like challenges what I know about Monopoly and make something new. <laughs> 
Um, and it's it's interesting seeing a corporate thing do something new. And that is, and again, I was drawn to it because it sounds stupid. And then you play it and you're like, okay, they did something new. That's kind of fun. So that's what, that's what I'm drawn. That's what I look for in my games. What about you? How do you feel about uh, cantrip and, um, and dialect? Well, and this was a different topic we were going to approach at one point, but cantrip kind of caught me with the art, you know, art, the artwork of a game can really pull me in, especially, uh, depending on how they, uh, stylize it. Um, and if it's an art style, I can also like point to people like, doesn't this look cool? Uh, I think a lot about like Cy Sweetman's art for Armorister Advent. Uh, a lot of that, the ways of let the mechs look and how mm. big and imposing they are. The mm. art style in uh, Songs for the Dusk showing a lot of color, a lot of variety, and you have a great idea of what people look like. Even I was even looking at Cyberpunk Red at one point. Yeah. And the art inside that game is absolutely gorgeous. It's big, mm. it's expansive, it looks loud and noisy and threatening and suffocating, but at the same time, it's opportunistic, it's, uh, it's, it's punk, you know? It's, you are there to do a crime because you have no choice in a city that does not care for you. Mm. Um, but why does the art grab you? Why, why, is, why is that important? The, Why is it a thing that you, like, go for and gravitate towards? I, partially because, like, it's kind of something I've always wanted to strive for is being able to create my own art, but I can never get down on the paper. But the mm. art helps fill in the dot, the blanks of the setting for me. It gives me yeah. a, a good idea of what the system is trying to convey to me and how, how a story, like, the story should look, you know? Um yeah. The other thing that I kind of look for, too, is outside of the art is just like how the system runs. You mentioned like unique stuff games do. and I love looking for that or what's something different that the playbooks do. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there's those basic times where like, I really want to play this type of character from this type of media. Can I do that in this game? And just looking at all the abilities and breaking down all the character options I get, uh, mm. which, you know, Blades in the Dark. Fortune in the Dark does a really good job of giving you a variety of abilities, but Powered by the Apocalypse gives you a chance to stylize that and let you and encourages you to come up with your own custom moves as well. Yeah. In order to achieve that goal you want. Well, some of them do. Like, some of them do a lot more than others. Like, I know um, Alas for the Awful Sea, which is by Story Brewers, who also did Good Society um they have sections like uh, as soon as you get past like you have like one main move and then you can get moves from like other playbooks but it encourages you to like just sit down and game design for a second mm-hmm. um whereas others are just like you know just like go through other playbooks take the moves from there and like do stuff like that mm-hmm. um and that difference is kind of interesting um and th- another thing like i think i'm interested with cantrip is the fact that it never mentions the hogwarts it never mentions like stuff like you know uh harry potter which is really interesting it wants to step away from that too just because of how much yeah. weight that like even saying that has a lot of weight behind it and gives people a lot of ideas what you believe in which is like going back to the thing about hitching your wagon to it they're expressly not doing it and <laughs> i even felt like should i bring this up but like yeah it is it is it is a game that would be like extremely good to people who want to 
avoid Hogwarts for very obvious reasons. And yeah, it's 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 interesting. And I'm like, I would be really interested to like check this one out in particular just to see like how much does this feel like a how much does this feel like a Harry Potter game? Because it might just be it might feel absolutely nothing alike it. This might just be me being like my main cultural touch point is a is a piece of media that I do not like and I do not want to support. But like, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about checking it out to see like how it responds to being in a world that exists with something like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it is it is it is interesting. It's also like Harry Potter is not the best example of that kind of thing. There are better. I mean, I don't know. Better is weird because it's like it's a cultural thing. But like there is, you know, Ursula Le Guin did a similar thing and was famously like, you know, there are better books you can read to do the Harry Potter thing. Um, and yeah. One of the worlds that's very unique and interesting I listened to on the way up to Dallas, which was uh, Discworld by Terry Pratchett mm. and how unique the world building is there. And just it's it's a typical fantasy, but kind of spins it on its head a lot. Yeah. And it's making fun of like a lot of the, the tropes of that kind of thing. Uh, oh, yeah. It's hilarious. I still love the there's a bit about imagining dragons and this was a book that came out way before the band Imagine Dragons. Yeah. But um, to go to your next question about dialect, dialect, I so what attracted me about that game is it is GMless. And mm. in a very similar way that I love playing For the Queen or I love playing Mobile Suit Zero Firebrands or The King is Dead, I can yeah, I can teach people to play it as we are reading it aloud. And it gives mm. a lot of impactful possible moments with it too. Um, yeah, especially if it's a table, people you trust who you kind of know you've all been at a table before you've all said stories with each other, or shared ideas of what you want to see and things, and you work together and collaborate on a, you know, on what the last interaction with a queen before she is attacked looks like, what the, uh, what your community looks like before a big mega corporation that has a huge e-commerce store moves your people out um yeah what what your kingdom looks like as you are fighting for the throne and it shatters yeah it is i mean i'm, I'm extremely i want to quickly shout out that there was a really good um talk by the the creator for the queen who like before i asked you the question why which um she as a designer said that that's the worst question that you know she's also a therapist and she said like asking why is is a dumb thing just because like people will lie or they'll like try and rationalize because really no one knows why people know the answer to all kinds of other questions but why is a very unhelpful question for therapy but it's really good for like for coming up with stories which is why a lot of the the questions in um for the queen uh, specifically, like, ask you why you feel like this and, like, the kind of questions that, like, she used. Um, I'm going to quickly find her name. Alex Roberts. Alex Roberts. And I saw that talk. It was, um, it's probably, if you go on her... Um, it's on her Twitter, I think. I think it's a... Uh, it's on her Twitter if you scroll down a little bit. Um, Alex Roberts. Uh, unfortunately, it, if you Google for the Queen, a lot of stuff about Queen Elizabeth turns up right now. Yeah. Uh, um, here, I got the link. Uh, it's the interview with Randy Lubin uh, from September mm. 11th, it seems. It's at Muscular Pikachu on Twitter, which is a great username. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, 
it was an incredibly really interesting thing it's literally i have not i've not really read through uh, for the queen but um I, I like saw that talk and i'm like that is so interesting especially as someone who like occasionally comes up with like prompt based like rpgs here and there and i i really like that um and yeah, but in regards to dialect, um, my experience with it is watching and listening to like the 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 part of the the road to partisan thing, and having a really difficult time with it. Like it is a game that I am like intimidated by because like just from listening to it and from hearing it, it feels like a very different game that I might like struggle with. And so like of these games, I'm less inclined to check this out because because it is so different, which I think is interesting because like. I think it would be valuable for me to read it, but it's just like it's a game that my brain is just like I am like almost intimidated by it in some way, just because it's so different and such like a different uh, way of approaching things. Similarly, um, my experience with belonging outside belonging games like Cantrip are difficult just because I find like the the looseness of a lot of those games is something that I struggle with, and like running games with the people, I find that I'm like always trying to keep it in gear and trying to like make things happen in a way that like it can be helpful but it just like it feels so strange and loose in a way that my brain cannot quite hit it is so different to so many other systems that i'm just like i don't know what i'm doing i don't have the grounding here and that like intimidates me and like makes it harder for me to get into those kind of games whereas like something like monopoly Fortnite, i know monopoly Mm -hmm. i don't like monopoly but i know it and i'm like i go straight for it yeah it the the structure of games too actually kind of makes sense because like they're so belonging outside belonging the closest i've gotten to play a belonging outside belonging game was uh through the legacy system which is legacy among the ruins uh God's, very good game. godbound really great stuff from ufo press um but i still remember the first time running a legacy game i struggled to kind of keep the story going i was trying to find prompts and encourage Mm. players to make big moves and you know get into conflict but it was also really hard just to keep the story in my head and try to trigger the right moves at the right time because it's a pbt it's a powered by the apocalypse game with no dice you know Uh, it's partially that like it's it's like uh um it's like has factions and then you have you play as like a member of those factions and so i think when you're playing as a faction, you don't roll dice. At least, like I'm, I played second edition, that might be different to the first. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, it has a thing where you can like do a bunch of things as a faction, and then as as an individual, you like play something else entirely. Like you play like a very small, like layered down game. And I similarly found that it was hard to play as an entire faction when you had like one person just running around and figuring out the scales and switching between them was very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very interesting game. It's a very, like, sort of interesting take on that. That sort of... It feels to me that it grounds the connection between between players and uh, between, like, big, broad topics, which you can sometimes... Or big, broad, like, themes or, like, entities or, like, environments. Uh, uh, um, it connects it better. So that is, that is my thoughts. Mm-hmm. All right. Um... So, Marley, what have you been up to? Do you have anything coming up right now? Um, again, I think I alternate, like, week by week, but I'm currently working a bunch of secret projects, um, and I'm not really sure when they're coming out, but I'm writing a hell of a lot. I'm doing a bunch of things. Um, 
And yeah, I'm excited to announce them because they're like, it's like me consistently doing a lot of work and doing a lot of different work and responding to like, you know, things that I am given and coming up with really interesting stuff that I wouldn't come up with on my own. And so when that all like comes together, uh, you should check it out. I'm extremely excited about the stuff I'm working up on, but I can give you no details because I think that I want to do like a big official announcement when it all comes together. Hell yeah. Um, Love that. <laughs> what about you? Uh, well, I try, I have a few ideas that are in the works. Um, I'm, uh, Holly and I are going to get back into streaming. We're looking to finish up Elden Ring. Oh, yeah. um, I'm going to get the rest of Ronnie's story and also make a few stops on stream and then go kill the Lord of Blood because that's where right. I'm at right now. Who's the Lord of Blood? Uh, Moog, like his actual form. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, like, I remember Moog. He has an egg. That may or may not Does be DLC he? in the next one. We'll see. Okay. But uh, outside of that, uh, I've been helping out with another podcast as well. Well, not it's a podcast, but it's actually a live stream show for the minor mm. league esports organization. It's open net. I was on there yeah. for about two weeks straight uh, last week and the week before. And I am I put my foot down, said I'm not joining this week. I am tired. I need my yeah. voice. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow it will it will be already done by the time this episode goes live. But I will be doing a charity event with Huntsman's Hydra. We're doing a goat heist. I saw that. I'm really excited to to because it's been like a few weeks since since your last like you know RPG stream, right? Yeah, uh, we've been on a hiatus. Uh, hmm. Brandon and his fiance are getting married, so everything's been kind of pushed to about December ish, late November. For season two startup, we're going to start having a session zero soon. But right now, this is to help us push uh, the cast interviews that we put out, all mm. of which are amazing. You should go watch them. It, uh, by watch them, I mean you need to go support the Kofi yeah. and uh, Patreon. But we'll be doing a goat heist based off our quiet, our fiery year in the dark game where we played the quiet year and that got chaotic. Uh, we also have, uh, I'll also be playing a skeleton. I'm going to go ahead and say that live. I'll be playing a Yay! happy bag of bones. I And if you want to find out what the rest of the cast is playing. And also, please hope that the incentives get hit because there are some wild incentives that Brandon shared with me over the weekend. That's so cool. There's one where we just erase the ghost field. The ghost field gets lifted in the heist. That's so cool. That's not a good thing if you know what Blades in the Dark setting is. That's, yeah, that's probably not, I mean, raising the lightning barrier is good. Mm -hmm. Everything else, not so good. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I will continue to be doing commentary over at MLE Sports GG. Uh, mm -hmm. Chances are, if you hear this episode and you hear this, you can catch me on Sunday at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, most likely. I will be casting... Uh, two of the games that I do not know what they are yet, but I can probably find out real quickly because I have to keep checking every other day. If I am casting on Sunday, I will be casting most likely the Highs versus the Hawks and the Rhinos versus the Flames. Ooh, that's scary. I need the Rhinos to completely defeat the Flames. Uh, what about you, Marley? Oh, wait, you already said it. We've, we've covered I'll say this. It We're again. good. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I've been basically trying to find out how to to find Apple podcast reviews for our podcast, but it's very hard to do that. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. Um, but yeah. 
All right. Well, that was Inside the Table, a tabletop RPG talk show. And thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Cole, a.k.a. Ice Cold Brew. You can follow me at Ice Cold Brew. And my pronouns are he, him, they, them. And I was joined by... Molly. Um, uh, uh, where was the thing? Uh, you can follow me at Mina underscore Lenahan. And my pronouns are he, him. Mm-hmm. And this podcast, you can follow at Inside the Table. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts. Send in questions to us at InsideTheTable at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, recommend it to your rival across the fields, holding the sword in the hand, sword wet with blood as they stab down your champion. No, because then they'll die and they can't listen. Every day is Five Star Friday here at Inside the Table. There's a game you like, go out and give it a five star rating. Yeah. Somehow, on Apple Podcasts, I don't know how to find it. <laughs> it's so hard. It's uh, uh, Apple Podcasts. How do people do this? I was trying to be professional this time. It's hard to find it on Apple Podcasts. It's all, I can only find it on, on Podbay. Apple Podcasts. If you know how to do this, please write in. <laughs> I don't know how to find out a thing there. I know it's on there because I put it on there. I went through my, my my bookmarks and I can't find it anywhere. Help me. Um, if you've reviewed it, please send, it, send us the link. Send the link to inside the table at gmail.com. Apple Podcasts yeah. is hard to search on. They they do weird things. We need more reviews or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to do a bit at the end. I completely forgot what the bit was. So I'm just going to go with the usual one up. Goodbye. Goodbye. Ah. See ya. Bye. Yeah. Clap at five and then again at ten. Showtime. Yes. Yeah. done sweet claps are in we've done it usually we do like more of a conversation i just i forgot how the show works now. <laughs> jesus we're out of practice it's been like a month since we've done yeah. a proper recording we we've been busy we've been very very busy yeah <sighs> i was gonna ask you about it but i think like that's one of your topics yeah um, doing some fun stuff and got some other things going on as well um, what other conversation can be had? Yeah. I'm so tired. It's, I even had that. We had the extra hour just for for people who are listening at home. I had gotten up early, and I was like, I haven't gotten up for a month because because this is like nine a.m. my time, and I was like, okay, let's get ready for a recording. And I was just like, hey, let's start recording. And Cole was just like. Oh, I'll just get a coffee. I'll just do all these things or whatever. And I'm like, wait, is this time? Is this is this a time zone thing? Is this the daylight savings thing? And you were like, yes. And I was like, okay, you just chill. I will also chill. And so I've been sitting back watching a playthrough of the seventh guest for the past hour, and just slowly waking up. <laughs> and it's oh, been great. No. Um, and that game sucks. It's a bad game. <laughs> God. Oh, oh yeah, I need to I need to remember to run my PlayStation up here so I can get it ready for a stream this week. I'm gonna try mm. and do more streams Ooh. again. 
Is it Return of, of the, the Bloodborne? Return of the Elden Ring. Okay. I've played a lot of Elden Ring off stream, and I accidentally might have killed Millennia. Okay. Hold on. Who's Millennia? Uh, the boss that everyone complains about who's, like, super hard oh, and yeah! does Scarlet Rot. She's, like, the flower and da-da-da-da-da. I thought she was the one with multiple arms and who is blue. And I was like, that's that's a sudden change of... No, that's Ronnie. That's the storyline I'm trying to complete mm. and found out that I was not done, even though I thought mm. I was done. All right. I have a question for you. Yeah. It's probably too early for this. And it's not for this podcast. But what is your game of the year? Because mine isn't Elden Ring. <laughs> mine also isn't Elden Ring, honestly. I'm trying to think. It's I'm so long. It's too long. It's too big. Yeah. It's so hard. Elden Ring is too fucking big. Um. Ooh, new Apex Legend lore. Uh, what is my game yeah. of the year? I want to check out Potion Permit, because that game looks really cute and really Sorry? sweet. Sorry? Potion Permit? Yeah, oh. Potion Permit. It's like Stardew Potion Valley, Permit. but instead of running a farm, you're running a potion shop. Or Potionomics, which also has like some interesting stuff going on in that. Potion Permits. A lot of potion-based oh, games coming out this month. It's the year of the potions. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to open up games up? released. All right, love you. Sorry, uh, Holly was letting me know she's heading out. Mm. Yeah. Right. Bye, Holly. Marley says bye. Bye, Marley. She says bye back. Bye. Bye. Okay, I, I will share you a list from GameSpot.com of all the games. So now you need to go through all of them and pick your favorite. I already know what my favorite is. Oh, God. So the uh, games I have played this year. I've played the Anacrusis. Did not like that. Nobody Saves the World. Played that. Thought it was okay, but didn't really stick with that. Uh, Nobody Saves the World would probably be one around. of the games that like I would enjoy if I played, I think. Yeah, I think so. Tunic was really cute. Tunic was good. Sifu was great. I really, really, really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. One of the games I meant to pick up and never got around to was 13 Sentinels. 13 Sentinels, what the hell is the that? The big fuck-off mech game where it's like multiple perspectives and you are you play multiple people's story to find out what's happening in order to catch on. Okay. Aegis Rim, but uh, it's only for the Switch, I believe, which is the unfortunate part, which means I have to borrow Holly's Switch. Hmm. I also don't have a Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, also an easy no, which is Dying Light 2. I haven't played that. I can't say that. But Dying Light 2 Stay Human, I heard, was pretty underwhelming. I've heard. Um, Oddworld Stranger's Wrath apparently came out. That's kind of wild. Mm-hmm. That's a very old game. Uh, Neon White, I heard, was fascinating. I did not get a chance to play that. I played the demo. I thought it was pretty good. People mm-hmm. always like being like, oh, it has a story. It's so bad. But I'm like, that was good. That's kind of fun for what it was. It's kind of cowboy bebopy. AI the Som- Somnium Files apparently is hilarious and just swings as hard as fucking possible in so yeah. many di- different directions. Also, Destiny 2 The Witch Queen technically came out, which I feel like you have a pin. Didn't you get back into Destiny because of that? I did. Uh, not because of The Witch Queen, but because of the DLC coming up next. 
Right. But I did play the Witch Queen, and it was okay. I wish I could do the raids. I just need to get back into it. If I had to pick, I think Cult of the Lamb might be my play uh, game of the year. Really? Interesting. I had a lot of fun in that. That's cool. Mine is Power War Simulator. Yep. Nope. Fair. It's got the best story of the year. I'm sticking uh, with that. It is. People don't expect that because it's just a power war simulator. And that's why the story is great. You're just like, all right, I'm just going to wander around. I've, pro- I've talked about this. I've talked about this on this very podcast. Mm-hmm. But like that game is great because it doesn't need a story, but it has one. And it sneaks up in you and you're like, what the hell? How am I saving the entire world <laughs> by doing power war simulators? Why am I being worshipped as a god? And the answer is because the game is great. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah. Shout out to Power War Simulator, which is absolutely amazing. And I think it's on uh, Xbox Game Pass. So if you want to mess with that, Ooh. that is that is my recommendation. Good to I like know. it more been... than Babylon's Fall, which is also mm-hmm. fair. I think if there is a game that I've really gotten to enjoy that didn't come out this year, but it's been out for a while, I think I'd probably have to pick Slay the Spire. Because it's just one of those nice mm. go back, like go back to games where like, ah, yes, I want to play this and it feels relaxing to play this. Even if I'm losing, I feel good. Yeah. I forgot I have Ace Combat 7 in my library. Is that another, uh, is that another mech game? No, it's a uh, like fighter jet simulator. I also have Little Nightmares. That one's hard. I heard it's hard. It's very hard, but. If you like that kind of thing, and I have a friend who's getting into um, those kind of like scary platformers or whatever, like yeah. playing like Inside and uh, Limbo and stuff like that. Um, she's really, really getting into those kind of games. <laughs> but I hate them because it's really hard. Yeah. Also, Weird Actually- West, the game I play tested and I'm in the credits for, came out on March 31st. Everyone play that game. It's very good. Mm-hmm. I've played that three times, I think. Hell yeah. Also, game, another game I found really satisfying to play was uh, Umaragi Generations. Mm. Mm. Not out this year. Not out this year. It came out like two years ago. But I yeah. played it. That's good. Two years ago. Oh, that does remind me. I need to re-download some games. I think I'm going to try Mirror's Edge Catalyst. I want to... Yes. I want to go ahead and give Suzerain another try because I just didn't have the attention span to deal with all the politics for it. Yeah, <laughs> to, to run a democracy. Um, Good God. I need have to try Boyfriend played, Dungeon. Yeah. Have you played Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt? Not yet, but I have it downloaded on the PS5. I played it when it was initially out, and that's always a really fun time to play a uh, Battle Royale. I played like Fortnite very, very early on, and it was weird. I don't think I enjoyed it much, um, but I'm kind of curious to just, like come back to it in like four years and just see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one game I wish didn't like have a release because it's basically the same game reskinned. It's Overwatch Two. Yeah, it's I the same. I mean, I you have to like buy it, it again. <laughs> yeah. And the, like the biggest dick move. move and, hold on, before I say this, I need to double check. Did Blizzard shut down the Overwatch 1 servers? Yes, they did. Yeah, that's a dick move. Yeah. Just um, release your new version, tell everyone 
hey, spend 70 bucks on the fucking new one. Like, mm. well, fucking shit heals. At least, like, Dark Souls 1 through 3 are still alive and active. Yeah, Demon Souls? Has Demon Souls shut down? The original one? I don't think so. Oh, the original one? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Mm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. God. I need to go back and play the Spider-Mans as well, but, like, the new versions for the PS5. Yeah. There's no Spider-Man 2 out yet, right? No, not yet. It's just Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales. Yeah. There's a lot of game that came out this... There's a lot of game. There's a lot of games that came out this year. Oh, yeah. Shall, shall we jump into it? Shall we jump into the episode? Yeah, let's start an episode. Should we clap let's again? I realize we clapped let's, and then talked. Let's clap not for timing or anything like that. Let's just clap to to so we have a dividing line. Yeah. Uh, let's right. go on five just once. Alright. <laughs> Alright. We have clapped. The clap has happened. <laughs>